Welcome into episode 39 of the Stomp the Bus show. I am your host, Mark Harris, coming at you with my co-host, Colton Dodgson. And uh, Colton, how you doing, man? Oh, Mark, I got to tell you, man, seeing your face is the perfect respite um, in my busy life as a, a high school teacher. So uh, it's, it's just great to see your face on my screen. It's been a while. Um, forgot that you cut the hair. Still looks great. Thank you. Um, but yeah, just just the highlight of my week, Mark, to be honest with you. Well, happy to hear that, Colton. I hope you can uh, think of my face super close up when you're grading some poorly written papers this week. Oh, uh, none of that. I got all that out of the way already, my friend. Oh, okay. Yeah, we're That's good. Cool. But I'll, I'll think of your face regardless. Perfect. Well, uh, <laughs> That's our show 39 starting. Um, we, we got a lot of interesting ASU news or news that kind of tangentially relates to ASU. Uh, but we're going to start with just some more concrete stuff. And ASU has been hitting the portal post spring football. Um, they did have a few guys leave, but for the most part, it, it was it was mostly, you know, backup type players like a, a Bennett Meredith um, and frankly, a bunch of guys I didn't even really know were on the team. Um, kind of what the transfer portal, like that's the good side of the transfer portal, getting kids opportunities to play. Uh, but ASU has also uh, filled in some of its roster gaps as well. And they have added four new players. Uh, I'm going to run through these guys quick and then we can kind of get into more detail. Uh, the biggest addition is Colorado wide receiver, wide receiver Jordan Tyson, and we'll get into him more because that is a very impactful uh, addition. Um, they also added Stephen F. Austin, defensive back, Joseph McGinnis, the second, uh, offensive lineman Cade Briggs from Texas Tech, and defense, and yesterday, uh, that being Tuesday, May 16th, they got defensive tackle Corey Roberson from Oklahoma. Um, what are you just, uh, just initial thoughts on those, maybe in terms of position, in terms of, uh, obviously Tyson is a bigger name. Yeah, that, that's obviously the one that's going to stand out to everybody is that Jordan Tyson pickup and, and, you know, just playing. It, it, it was interesting. It, there's so much going on with Colorado right now in terms of like the excitement, but also somewhat of an exodus in terms of. Uh, the players yeah. leaving the program, uh, and I guess Deion Sanders hasn't been very shy to basically say good riddance <laughs> if they if they want to leave. Um, so that's been interesting. But I mean, anytime you can get a guy who who not only got on the field as a true freshman, um, I guess when you're at Colorado, it's probably not the most difficult thing to do, but. I mean, anytime you can get on the field as a true freshman and and make the kind of impact that that Tyson had last season, um, in terms of you know his his average, uh, um, receive his average catch uh, or his average. How am I supposed to yards per reception? Yards per reception. There we go. Is your fantasy football guy? Yeah, I know. This I don't the know fantasy why football I podcast in June. Yeah, I've been so out of the loop. Uh, my brain is fried with all this school stuff, and uh, I just completely blanked on that. But yards per reception and the, the 21, 21.4 yards per reception is impressive. 
Um, and then you you look at how he ended last season, uh, five catches against ASU, obviously, 58-yard catch. He had the touchdown, an 81-yard catch against against Oregon. Um, he had a kickoff return touchdown against us, too. Yeah, it, it seemed like he was really coming into his own um, and starting to, to find his footing a little bit. Um, the only time he didn't really make a splash in a game uh, the only two times, I guess, against Air Force, one catch for six yards, and, and against Cal, uh, three catches for 13 yards. But those both seemed like anomalies. Other than that, he's at least making one chunk play a game. And that's as a freshman, you know? Uh, yeah. So that's impressive stuff. He was he was able to stretch the field last year. Um, and, and getting a guy like that who can kind of take the top off the defense or make the defense at least respect his ability to go deep, um, it just adds another dimension to your offense and, and gives Kenny Dillingham more to work with and gives whoever ends up winning this this starting quarterback job more to work with as well, joining, you know, Elijah Badger and everything else that they're uh, Conyers and everybody else that's going to be in the mix for that position or for on the offense, I mean. But uh, either way, man, like anytime you can add a weapon like Jordan Tyson, especially from – um, a conference opponent granted not a very good one but one with a lot of hype uh it, it bodes well so i'm excited to see what he does absolutely um i i, I want to touch on <coughs> excuse me i want to touch on jordan tyson a little more uh in a bit but i i do yeah and and, and those are all good points too because the stats particularly at the end of the year for him were really good um the other three transfers i don't really have a whole i mean Hopefully Joseph McGinnis and Cade Briggs help out, you know, defensive back, offensive line. Those are never places where you can have enough. Uh, you can never have enough depth at those yeah. position groups. Um, but the biggest for me was uh, Corey Roberson from Oklahoma. And it's 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 in a much different way than Tyson, because Tyson will have a much bigger or one would think Tyson will have a much bigger like on-field impact, just you're watching the game, you see guys making plays, he'll be doing that for ASU. Why I like the Roberson addition is because you did lose a, a handful of, of defensive tackles in the portal uh, post-spring. Robbie Harrison, um, he committed to Indiana. Um, so that is kind of a move down, I guess. Uh, just, in, you know, look, Indiana's not a good football team either, but you know, still playing high level football, but, uh, and then there's two other guys that left too, but bringing in a guy like this, even if it's just for depth is big, just, you don't want to run out of defensive tackles. If, uh, Colin fight gets injured, for example. So that's just, it, it's just big from a depth perspective. He's started in the past. He's kind of, he's only really had four starts, uh, over his time at Oklahoma, which has been like four seasons, and he's a uh, what do they have him here? He is a I think he's a redshirt. He's a fifth year junior with two more years of eligibility. So bringing a guy like that in, he has some level of talent. He look, he, he was at Oklahoma, so at, at one point he was an you know, if Oklahoma wanted him at one point, that means there's something there. And even if he, even if he's just a backup that's fine. You know, he doesn't have to be Nesta Jade Silvera and, you know, be the only guy from ASU getting drafted. Uh, but like Silvera did make like big plays last year and he was your starting nose guard. He doesn't even have to be that. It's just, Hey, it's like, 
you know, it's just another important uh, body at that position. So right. I just wanted to kind of uh, expand on that because, you know, it, it's it's not sexy at all. You know, Jordan Tyson is from his skill set is a very you know sexy football player if that makes sense. But uh, yeah, just wanted to. That's pretty hot, Mark. <laughs> well, he is a sun devil now, so there you go. Um, he'll be yeah. burning guys downfield in the hot Tempe weather. There you go. That's some, there's some heat puns for you. But yeah, yeah. so um, just wanted to consider that horse dead and beaten. There you go. Yeah, yeah, but uh, exactly. But just wanted to uh, shout yeah. out that stuff about no, Rover. Definitely, and I think you're 100 percent right. I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of the importance of of depth on in general on a football team. But the way that you're seeing, I just football in general move is is moving to having depth on the defensive line being so important because you can r rotate guys in and out, yep. right? Yep. You can bring this guy in who, who did start a couple games for Oklahoma or at the very least was on the field for Oklahoma, who can come in and give you bursts if he's not a starter, right? Just because he's a depth piece on the defensive line doesn't mean he isn't going to get reps if he proves that he's capable of giving you uh, solid reps, right? Yep. And, and taking that burden off of your starters and, and, using more of a rotation keeps all of those guys fresh. And when you're rushing a quarterback, it's, it's more like, you know, sprints, right? You don't want those guys gassed by the end of the game. If you can have fresh D linemen because you have solid depth uh, in the third and fourth quarter, that's going to make life hard on that quarterback. So any depth you can assemble along the defensive line and we'll see what he does. You know, we'll see what, what he looks like when he gets to, to, um, you know, fall camp and everything like that as we move closer to that. Um, but if he can prove to be a, a solid depth piece and a guy who gets on the field, I think, I mean, that's never going to be a bad thing. No, not at all. And so hopefully they add another defensive lineman in the portal uh, before the season starts. But yeah, I mean, all good points from you there. Uh, but shifting back to Tyson, I mean, if you, I, it's, I think his stats are worse than his talent showed just because the quarterback situation at Colorado was just a complete dumpster fire last year. Um, I mean, you, you look at his, his last three games of the year against Oregon State. Three catches for 92 yards. That is insane yards per yard per reception. Against ASU, balled out. Five catches for 115 yards. 58-yarder. And then against number eight, Oregon, five catches, 137 yards, long of 81, and a touchdown. Scored their only touchdown in the game. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is this is an incredible – like, he's he was playing well against – I'm not even going to put ASU in that group. He was playing well against the best competition he, he faced. Um, and that's just so encouraging. And now he's not going to be, like – He's going to have a much better offensive system, much more consistent quarterback play. He won't be the only option because he he'll probably he'll be at best the third best uh, receiving option for ASU, and there's a chance he could be like the fourth uh, with how uh, Xavier Guillory is practiced coming in from Idaho State. Uh, it's just that is just such a it's just you mentioned it just adds such a different dynamic to this offense and. 
The, the other thing that I really like about getting Jordan Tyson is that other schools, like bigger, you know, football schools wanted him and we mm-hmm. got him. Oklahoma, yeah. like he was at Oklahoma. He toured Oklahoma and eventually went to ASU. You know, he, Auburn really wanted him. You have schools like yeah. that knocking down your door, schools that one would think would have more NIL money uh, for football than ASU would. Um, although, you know, who knows how it actually works and stuff like that. But uh, that's, a, that's another really encouraging thing for me. Yeah, and I, I just want to add to having a guy like Tyson who can keep safeties kind of on their heels a little bit and, and have defensive coordinators scheming up like, okay, we got we to gotta cover anything over the top too. We can't just ignore that element of this offense. It's really going to open up that intermediate game too for guys like, badger to you know run those those crossing routes and and the two tight ends to to do what they do in the intermediate of the field um so that's i mean that's something that's so important a guy who you know average yards per reception 21.4 yards like he he, that's what he does you know he takes the top off of the defense um which is going to open up so much too and then you know everybody else you got scatabo in the mix with those those you know, check downs and whatever else they're going to mix them into. There's just so many ways that this offense is going to be able to attack. And with an offensive coach, right, a guy who who yep. kind of um, has gotten to this point on, based on his ability to get the most out of his offense, I, there's a lot to be excited about. Absolutely. And – if, if you're Jalen Conyers, when you hear the news of Jordan Tyson coming, you got to be licking your chops, man. Because think of how much more single coverage Conyers is going to have. It, like you mentioned, Badger, the intermediate routes. I mean, it's the same for Conyers as well. And once he has the ball in his hand, that is a matchup nightmare for a safety. You want to tackle freaking Jalen Conyers running at you full steam? Uh, no thanks. You know, it's, it's one thing tackling a wide receiver, but a tight end like him is – that's tough. And – Man, like, and the other thing is, like, I know that this has sounded a little morbid, I guess, but, like, injuries happen in football, and obviously the more guys you add, the more you're able to, you know, withstand those injuries. Um, So, like, if Elijah Badger has an injury in week four, it's not the end of the world like it would have been, you know. Obviously, you know, knock on wood, hope that doesn't happen. But um, I'm going to be honest, when you said morbid, I had no idea what direction you were going in. (laughs) Um, morbid wasn't the right word but. yeah i was yeah no that's okay I, I, I guess depth right depth is important yeah so you don't want to lose elijah badger definitely not i think that would still hurt but oh i mean of course yeah but <laughs> um and it can just bail you out like having a guy like that can just bail you out of like not even maybe not even calling the right play in the moment but he just gets open and there you go. Uh, so, yeah, hopefully, you know, like I said, hopefully ASU can add some more uh, impact transfers down the line. Um, but, yeah, have you got any, any more thoughts on ASU football adding transfers? Um, not necessarily. I just think this offense is shaping up. I, I know this has kind of been the running theme of anything I've mentioned ASU football-wise, but I think – this this team is shaping up to be a team that's going to be a handful offensively. Yep. Um, 
I don't know how the defense is going to really look. I don't know. I, I think I feel like we're going to be in a lot in for a lot of uh, high total scores this season, which is never a bad thing. Um, that's always fun. But I, I do think that this team is going to be able to put points on the board and, and getting a guy like Jordan Tyson and adding him to that repertoire, that, that, that arsenal of weapons that is already in place, I think is is pretty underrated and, and pretty special. A lot of people are excited about this, and I think they have good reason to. He's also so young. For for him to do what he did. He's a true sophomore. Yeah, a true sophomore. For him to yeah. do what he did last year as a true freshman, especially in this era of college football, uh, when you've got 25-year-olds on the field, is is impressive. So, Absolutely. And, yeah, so um... – you mentioned the defense. I, you know, I've been saying it all offseason. I do like uh, Brian Ward, the defensive coordinator that they got from Wazoo, a, a program that does not, you know, is not loaded with, you know, amazing talent. And he did a good job there last year. So absolutely, that's a huge get. I, I think it's more of a testament though to the offensive talent that is in the Pac-12 right now. You know, like yeah, just the the offenses that they're going to be up against the guys like, uh, you know. USC, Phoenix, Washington. Yeah, USC. Washington's going to be a, a buzzsaw this year because they had obviously Penix could have gone to the draft. He didn't go. There are two right. wide receivers, Roma Dunze and Jalen McMillan, could have gone and they didn't go. They also have some good like defensive linemen that didn't go as well. Like I saw a mock draft that had them like four four first round picks next year. I mean, obviously these early mock these way too early mock drafts are way too early for a reason, but that, that, that's that's a lot of talent for them. So like. I don't think the uh, ASU Washington upset is going to happen for two years in a row, especially playing up in Seattle. But um, no, no, it's not. And you know, but, adding uh, Ugi Ungale, yeah, Ugi yeah, adding adding DJ to to Oregon State, and and Oregon State is a team on the rise too. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Oregon is always solid offensively. You mentioned USC, UCLA, like the list goes on. Arizona, like you could, could just go on and on and on. And now Colorado too. There's going to be a lot of really solid offensive teams in the Pac-12 this year. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know if it's necessarily like, oh, this defense is terrible. I don't think it's that. I just think that the the caliber of offenses they'll be up against is is extremely high. Yep. Um, but again, I, I think that if they if they lose a game, they're not going to get blown out by like forty five to ten. It'll probably be more like fifty six thirty eight, something like that. Right, right. Yeah. Which I, you know, that's better. You know, better than forty five to ten. Exactly. Uh, and I, it gives you more wiggle room because you can keep up. You know, it's 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 either easier to keep up when you have just really good players on offense. So definitely. Um, yeah, I'm, and who knows how the quarterback situation works out, but at least whoever does get, end up getting the job will have, you know, Conyers and Badger and Tyson to throw to. So uh, that is very good. Um, well, something that's not good if you're a Coyotes fan, um, which neither of us are, but uh, is that the Tempe, uh, the, the arena for Tempe did not get approved by voters on Tuesday. Um, and you might ask yourself, why are we bringing this up on an ASU podcast? This doesn't matter. And you're, you're, you're kind of right, but 
there was a lot of speculation out there that if the new arena ended up getting built, then uh, Michael Crow would just have the basketball teams play there in off-campus arena. Um, and in my opinion, I, I think ASU basketball and ASU women's basketball playing at an off-campus arena would just be awful for the programs. It, because for one, so there's a few reasons. One, the arena is like two miles away from ASU. And so that's just, that's just a more, much more of a pain in the ass if you want to walk there after class uh, as a student in Tempe. And you'll be playing in like, in a, or you would be playing in like an 11,000 seat arena and, or maybe even more than that, maybe like 15,000 seat arena. And you wouldn't be able to fill it up because that's most college basketball teams wouldn't be able to fill that up. And that just looks bad. Uh, but yes, you would get nicer facilities. But my ultimate point on this is I think that it's a good thing for ASU basketball that this doesn't pass or that, that it didn't pass because I just, I just think an off-campus arena for eight, like ASU basketball is never going to have this rabid fit, hardcore fan base that, you know, makes it like a true blue basketball score, whatever you want to say, like convenience is key and that would be inconvenient for students and for a lot of fans. Yeah. I, I think if the plan was, it, it kind of seemed like, Michael Crow wasn't in much of a rush to do anything about desert finance. It's desert financial. It's right? functional. It's what? Well, I just said it's functional because that that's what he said about the arena. And it's, you know, the ultimate, yeah. obviously. Desert, desert financial, right? They change the name like every two years. So I just wanted yeah. to make sure I was caught up. Um, so, I mean, he wants to talk about it being functional and all of these things. We've been there. It, it feels like walking back into the seventies, you know, right. like it's just so old and it doesn't seem like anybody's in much of a rush. And we've, we've already talked quite a bit about how that kind of adds to how well Bobby Hurley has done in this situation, not having the facilities and all that other stuff to kind of woo recruits. Right. Yeah. Um, but again, we've already talked about that. If, if, there was 100%. And again, all we can do right here is kind of speculate and guess like, okay, maybe it seemed like Michael Crow was leaning in that direction. That's what you all come here for. Reckless speculation. Right, right. And if we're going to recklessly speculate and assume based on the things that he said, that he would be more apt to move toward that than he would be to renovate uh, Desert Financial in the short term or relatively short in terms of, you know, on a, a relative scale of stadiums and how this stuff all happens, uh, then this is definitely a win for ASU basketball contingent upon that being the plan, which it very well could have been, right? Those very well could have been just conversations he had behind closed doors, that sort of thing. Um, you always, whenever possible, want to try to keep the teams on campus, I think, or at least like very close to campus uh, two miles isn't crazy um but i i feel like asu the student support has gone up a little bit in recent years but i also feel like it's it's not like a rabid student right. fan base right? right so so pushing a team further away seems kind of counterintuitive to you know trying to get more students in the door and creating that culture where you have an actual draw 
right? Teams are kind of nervous to go play there, which, I mean, that's, I, I don't know if that's the case now. Um, they were nervous so, about uh, the hallways. I don't know, like a, a, yeah. a, a well, ceiling be, panel be, falling off be, and hitting them in the head as they're walking down the 1974 hallways. There you go. They're going to be nervous. Yeah, the fluorescent light bulbs. Just yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Beating down. But they're going to be nervous when LeBron is courtside next season. That right. Those are financial. There you go. So, <laughs> um, yeah, but anyway, I, I agree with you. I think this is a win, a huge loss for, for the Coyotes. It seems like they're going to try to stay in Arizona. If, I mean, Who knows? Maybe just PR speak. That's you don't, you don't come here for the, the Coyotes news, um, but that's why we have our own Coyotes. You don't, if Mark. you're a Coyotes fan, you don't want to hear what I actually think about them because. Yeah. All Mark's, I can say been, is, Mark's been an avid hockey fan for a year now. Two years. He finally two years. got a team. He finally got a team, and now he's he's a hockey guy. My only thought with the Coyotes is they've been given a lot more runway than other teams that ended up getting relocated. And yeah. especially teams like the Chargers and Sonics, who had way bigger fan bases than the Coyotes did. And I'll just end it there because I, I don't want to twist the knife because it is terrible. Like, when teams move, it's awful. But um, – you know, Colton. I mean, did you you grew up in Arizona? How many Coyotes friends, fan friends, do you have? It was very sporadic, but I will say this: it, it's very, very weird because there aren't any like casual Coyotes fans. If right. you run into a Coyotes fan, they're like diehard Coyotes fans, but there's so few of them. So it's, yeah, it's kind exactly. of a weird uh, middle ground there where. It's not a lot of, oh, the Coyotes are good. Let's show up to a game. But it's a lot of, like, the Coyotes have won two, three games, four, 15 games in, and, and these people are still there. Those yeah. Type of yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel for them. I do. But, I mean, the only Coyotes fan I know right now is our friend Seth. Basically, <laughs> that's it. Like, it's, you know, and look, I, I hope they still stay in Arizona. I hope they figure something out. It just seems like it won't happen. But anyway – um relating it back to ASU uh an impact of not having this arena get approved is it at this point it has to force Michael Crow's hand to do something with Desert Financial Arena whether that's tear it down and build something new what I think or what I think the most uh feasible and reasonable option is is to just renovate it uh which I I, I don't know I'm not a construction expert or anything, but it feels like that's possible. And because I, I actually like the outside of the building. I think the outside of the building looks pretty cool. How it's like a, it's like a dome and like it, it goes, you know, sinks down into the ground. I, I think it looks cool, but you have to update, like there's no like handrails at places and it's just old. The hallways are old. The lockers are old. It's just like unacceptable for a P5 program. Um, and I like, I don't think it has to be like this huge endeavor where it's like, oh, we gotta, you know, build a new arena and this and that. And it's like, okay, like you could just remodel it, you know, or renovate it from the inside. Right. And now again, we've kind of talked about like the fact that this stadium not passing, um, if, if there was any urgency, if there was any conversations about 
what will we do in the long term in terms of a, a basketball uh, venue, which there should have been because, again, that building is extremely old. Oh. Uh, one option is off the table, and that's playing. In a- ASU, ASU Athletics should have been doing a lot of things over the years, but let's just <laughs> save that <laughs> another uh, show. But I, no, no, I get your point. Definitely. So that's obviously off the table at this point, and we'll see what the Coyotes do. Who knows? Right. Yeah, and another thing that let's say you renovate it, uh, according to Wikipedia, uh, Desert Financial is Desert Financial Arena is a fourteen thousand one hundred ninety-eight seat arena. That is too big for ASU basketball. That is way too big. Like basically, for that to be filled, you have to have a good ASU basketball team, and they have to be playing a good marquee opponent. You know, so Absolutely. yeah, it's. It's too much to, and it's too much to ask for basically any college basketball team, save for, you know, a handful. Um, and it it just looks worse on TV. Like no one's gonna no one's gonna notice. Like let's say you have a nine thousand seat arena, and um, it's full. No one's gonna be like, oh, it, but but it's only nine thousand seats. It's like no. It's like people are just gonna see that it's full. It's like how like USC Stadium is. I don't know what the official. Um, I think it's like ninety thousand. It's it's an enormous stadium, the Coliseum. And even when they get like a good like sixty thousand uh, person crowd, it still doesn't look like it's full because of just how big it is. And obviously, the Desert Financial example is a much smaller scale. But um, for for a program like ASU, having a nine thousand, ten thousand seat arena would do just fine. And look at Mullet Arena. Like the ASU hockey games are fun, and if it was in a, you know, if they were just playing them in Desert Financial, it would not be as fun because it would just be a giant arena that's, you know, a third full. But instead, you're packing a five thousand seat arena. Yeah, definitely. I I agree with all of that. I think you hit the nail on the head. Yeah. Now I have one more thought on this too. Is like, um, there are there are. A, good chunk of ASU fans who wish the ASU baseball program was still at Packard on campus. Cause guess what? It's on campus, but right. said that <coughs> Phoenix municipal stadium, which it, it's really not that far away and it's a beautiful location. It's a great stadium, like all of that, you know, but it's a little bit more inconvenient to get to. Um, and so it just, it, it, you need to make things easy for ASU fans. That's, that's the it's thing. Not, it's it's proven to not be a fan base that's going to like overcome very much in terms of right. going to watch the teams, right? Right. So, Especially if it's an average team, which if you're ASU right. basketball, that's most likely what you're going to be most years. So, yeah. Anyway, any more thoughts on that, Colton? No, I think you kind of summed it all up. I, I I'd be interested to see what's going to happen in terms of, you know, what they do long-term with the basketball venue. Is this going to be renovated is, or is it just going to be something where it becomes a, a, they let it go to the point that it becomes a way bigger issue because I don't think it's, it's a huge issue right now. It's something that they should definitely explore. Um, like, like Michael Crow, what did he call it? Serviceable or functional? Is that functional? There you go. So right now it might be functional, but 
in in five to ten years where are they going to be and and that's that's going to sneak up on you i think so it's just something to keep on the radar i'll be interested to see if anything comes out in the next year or so about plans for uh the basketball venue yeah i mean look there's a there's also a reality where they just do nothing and but i just feel like you can't just do nothing forever yeah. especially it, yeah. yeah exactly and that's what i'm saying like i think if they just if they just keep going with the mentality of like this is a problem for a different day it's functional all of that stuff it's going to sneak up on you and then it's going to become a way bigger issue than it ever needed to be you know right so. right yeah so Look, if we had different university leadership, this would have been fixed probably 15 years ago, but we don't, and we have Michael Crow. In an athletic, athletics-facing leadership. Does that make sense? Right. I mean, look, I've been critical of Bray Anderson of, of a bunch of stuff, but ultimately this is Michael Crow's That's decision. No, that's what I'm saying. It's oh, like okay. Michael okay. Crow has yeah. never proven to be uh, much Supporting? of – Yeah. Uh, yeah, you get what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, yes, we do. Yes, we do. Read me loud and clear. It, it, if only innovation was a sport. Yeah, um, we're really good at that sport. Yeah, or at least we'd say that we are. I don't know how those actually get <laughs> those yeah, actually get them. measured, but um, anyway. So there's more conference realignment news percolating around the country uh and most of the big headlines are about the acc which is in a you know pretty similar spot as the big 12 and the pac 12 in terms of uh their revenue gap uh behind the big 10 and the sec um and in light of all that uh sports illustrated writer ross dellinger had a great article that came out on monday i recommend everyone read it because it kind of touches on a lot of stuff going on around the country, but from a Pac-12 perspective, uh, basically it's saying the Big 12 still wants to poach Pac-12 schools, but the Pac-12 is still committed to waiting out and seeing what the media deal will be. Uh, it's kind of been the state of affairs for the past few months. Uh, but there were a few, da, 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 there were a few kind of notes that popped up and I want to go through. One is that, so I'm going to read this. One thing is certain, the Pac-12 plans to expand by adding San Diego State and maybe SMU coinciding with its completion of a new media, or a new TV deal. But there is a deadline. To start playing 2024, San Diego State owes the Mountain West an exit fee of about $17 million. That triples in cost on July 1st, a reason for a quasi-deadline to the situation. So basically saying Pac-12 needs to add SDSU uh, before July 1st or otherwise SDSU is going to have to pay a lot more than Mountain West when it leaves. So that's that's good and just in terms of a like he wrote a, geez, a deadline type situation. And then this is the most interesting quote from the whole article in my opinion. Um, one athletic administrator offers his own prediction on the outcome. Quote, I think the highest odds and it may not be more than 50%, <clears throat> is that the Pac-12 salvages something in the short term to keep it together and is dead man walking for four years with the Big 10 and Big 12 sitting there. So from this article, you know, obviously the super long-term future of the Pac-12 is, you know, very bad <laughs> for the most part, but it does seem to indicate that something will get done 
um, maybe it's more of like a band-aid of a deal will get done uh, sometime, you know, in the next two months, which I guess we've been saying forever. But what are your thoughts on that? Because it's a lot of kind of the same stuff, but I think the quote uh, is pretty interesting. Yeah, I think it's that, that same theme of like, you're hearing publicly, the people who are putting their names next to their quotes are saying, yeah, no, it's going to get done. It looks great. And then there's such a more pessimistic viewpoint in terms of like in so many different respects, right? There's people who think it's it's already over. There's people who think it could happen for, you know, there, there's short-term optimism, but you, I mean, obviously referring to them as dead man walking is the PAC 12 as dead man walking is, is pretty telling. Right. So it's just, it's such a polarizing thing. There's people on, this is very extreme, right? There's, there's, there's nobody that's kind of like in the middle on this. I'm like, Hey, we'll wait and see. Maybe it'll get that. Like it's either like, yes, it's getting done because those are statements that have been prepared or like there's this, this league is going to fold. So um, I think, <clears throat> getting a deadline or I guess a, a non-official deadline, right. Um, of, of that July, what'd you say it was July 1st, July 1st. Yeah. Yeah. I think it kind of, um, it, it, it kind of forces their hand a little bit to, to move on something. Um, and who knows if they will, if they're serious about adding teams and, and trying to, um, to, find that that i that that solution that would come through adding those teams then it looks like they're gonna have to move a little a little quicker than they have been um but i guess it's only been you know right around a year since we've been talking about this hopefully we'll we'll get some resolution here shortly and uh or at least some news and then we'll have we'll have a little more to talk about that that's new right Right. Uh, i feel like all we're getting is is guys commenting on what this is without much right yeah so I, I we'll see hopefully hopefully we get some I, I you know hopefully the media deal works out um hopefully that's something that looks looks solid when it comes out something that's viable um and then who knows maybe we see sdsu and smu join the pac-12 and and we'll reevaluate then but we're still in that same kind of holding pattern right now just waiting to see what expansion looks like for the Pac-12, if there's expansion for the Pac-12, and, and what that media deal looks like. Totally. Um, and then from an ASU perspective, uh, ASU Athletic Director Ray Anderson went on the Speak of the Devils podcast on Tuesday. Uh, I recommend people listen to it. Uh, Brad does a great job. Um, and this is a quote from that. It's, quote, I'm very confident in, in the long-term viability the 10 schools are solid, says he feels like it will be, quote, summertime when the deal is announced, then the grant of rights signed, then the focus will turn to expansion. Uh, Pat Forty, uh, another Sports Illustrated writer, um, quote tweets that tweet and says, that Pac-12 media deal timetable aligns with what I heard earlier today, which would leave some potential additions hanging and sustain the news vacuum that has been filled by all matter of speculation. So basically, just more, more the same of. Yeah, I, I would say the one, and, yeah. the one interesting thing that we're finally getting is like timelines, right? Which yeah. I, I don't think we've been getting a lot of that up to this point. 
so so seeing like a lot of july 1 or july and august like it seems like we'll have a resolution in some capacity or rumblings of some sort of resolution uh over the course of the summer so that'll be good to, to dive in on that and i just feel like you can't go into the season with no you know no, nothing uh nailed down you know especially with like the, like you said earlier the pac 12 should be really good this season you know um with all the quarterbacks and all the offense um so yeah it, i mean look i where ASU will be playing in 2030 is most likely the Big 12, it feels like, but it feels like where they'll be playing in 2027 seems like it'll be whatever's left of the Pac-12. Um, and, you know, who knows? I think the thing, there have been, there've been, I guess the thing that I've taken away from this recent uh, bout of reporting is there have been a lot of Big 12 and fans and uh, Big 12 affiliated media members where it's been like, oh, it's the, the conference is imminently going to collapse. Like Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, Utah, they're going to leave right soon. And this will be the last year of the Pac-12. Uh, and it seems like that is unlikely. Um, but, you know, like I said, 2030 playing in the Big 12, then yeah. And you know, tying it up with the ACC, maybe, you know, maybe the Big 12 will just be the, just the best of the rest conference for all the other remaining Power 5 teams, and ASU will be playing, like, Louisville and Pitt as, as conference rivals, which is just, coming out of my mouth just sounds so fucking stupid. Um, <laughs> but, you know, this is where we are, and so... <coughs> Who knows how it's all going to play out, but it's just like, it's just mind bending. Um, it's madness, Mark, and I can tell you're flustered. Yeah, yeah, totally. So I don't know. It's, it's just who knows what's going to happen. Um, but it's, you know, the fact that it's going on so long isn't a good sign, but also for all the big 12 people who thought, all these schools would have left by now. They're wrong too. So it's like, you know, I don't know. I guess I'm just glad that like, I'm just glad that we're not Wazoo and we're not Oregon state or like from an ACC perspective, like Boston college, you know, or wake forest. Like I feel like when all this, you know, mer you know, musical trailers ends, those schools are going to be the ones uh, on the outside looking in. Yeah, definitely. I don't know if you saw this too, but I was just scrolling through Twitter. Um, ASU just added a four-star corner. Oh, really? Tony Lewis Nakuba. It looks like it came out 37 minutes ago. Well, look at that. Um, All right. Tony. Yeah. Tony Lewis Nakuba, it looks like. I think I said that right. I hope I did. Let me just typed it in. Four-star 2024 corner. So, dude, I don't know where he's let's from. go, Tony Lewis Nakuba. Uh, Is that the first time we we've had uh, not breaking? Well, I guess we've kind of we didn't break the news, but it is breaking news, right? Yeah. On this show, yeah. I guess so. Look it's at that. Look at that. He's uh, he, out of Louisville, Texas, out of the Dallas area. That's good. 
this is this is good so stuff. Like they, yeah, they, it looks like they have them as a three star on on two four seven. Um, four star on rivals, three star on two four seven. The eighty fifth rated corner in the country. It looks like not bad. Still, you know, anybody, I guess anytime you can have solid corners in college football, it makes such a difference. Yeah. Those and I think we'll have that this year, too. So rare. Yeah. Those guys are just like guys you got to get out of the, you know, those, right. the, the Big Ten is the only place that has that, I feel like. Right. And the FBC, but. All right. That's, that's some good stuff right there to close out our show. Uh, another. We can say four star, you know, he's a four star on rivals, so we'll take it. And um, even if he was just a three star, that's good too. Especially, it continues the Texas pipeline, which if ASU does end up going to the Big 12, that's very good to have. So, and even if they don't, it's good to have, you know. So, there you go. Absolutely. And Seth McFarland quit Family Guy. Uh, so, there's some more breaking news for you. I forgot that Family Guy was still on. <laughs> yeah, it's my favorite background noise show. So that's I feel I, that that's unfortunate. There's not going to be other ones, but all right. Well, with that, uh, that'll wrap up the episode. You got any final thoughts, Colton? Uh, not necessarily. I just didn't expect to become a, a breaking news podcast at the tail end. That's right. Um, so that's that's a pretty cool arc for us. Um, but yeah, no, good stuff, man. We're only a half hour late on it. Yeah, I, we're never gonna be, we're never gonna be first, but we will acknowledge it. That's right. That so is right. If, if you're if you're into us going, hey, this happened thirty minutes after you found out. Uh, this is the show for you. There you go. That that is our brand. The brand is strong. All right. Well, that'll wrap up episode thirty nine. Uh, please. Like and subscribe on YouTube, rate and review on whatever podcast app uh, you find our wonderful show on. And as always, go Devils.